And welcome to Here We Stand. It's May the 8th. I'm your host, Kevin Anna Eagle Strong Voice. I love that song, The World Turned Upside Down. This is the voice of the Republic and the Resistance. By turning the world upside down, we're saying we're actually setting it right side up, the way it should be under natural law. Nobody has a right to anything more than anyone else. No one has natural authority over anyone else. And people are meant to live together in harmony and equality and liberty. That's the philosophy that has led our ancestors over many centuries and millennia to reclaim the world for all of us. And that's what we're doing here. A show that's been running for seven years now, originally as Radio Free Canada, launched in January 2015, became Here We Stand. And as we get into the show today to talk about a new international alliance of free people, a very exciting announcement that's coming out tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about that today and many other things. But I want to talk to you about the name of the show. Originally, Radio Free Canada, the voice of the Republic of Canada, we realized that it had to become more than that. A number of years ago, we internationalized, and we took the name Here We Stand. It's from a very famous saying by Martin Luther when he was brought before the Vatican Inquisition and told to recant his beliefs that we don't need popes, we don't need bishops, Christ is within all of us. And that idea actually led to the American Revolution and our attempt and our struggle now to establish sovereign republics. Spiritual sovereignty leads to political and personal sovereignty. He said, when he refused to recant before the Vatican officials, he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Ikan nix anders. And here I stand became here we stand, because all of us are taking the same stance towards the global system now, the dictatorship that is telling everyone to toe the line or they die. And so that gives you a sense of why we're here. For those new listeners, we're also posted every week at the BBS radio site, and republicofkanata.org and murderbydecree.com. A lot of our history is right there. Well, today, as I mentioned, perhaps it comes down to a simple question. What will you each do now? Because it's a matter of taking personal responsibility. You know, one of the advantages of a disaster when it hits a whole people or individuals is that it awakens us to what we're a part of, but then it requires that we make a choice, each one of us. We're no longer given the so-called advantage of being an innocent bystander. In fact, there are no innocent bystanders. We're all complicit, either by participating in the system or by resisting it and building something more just, more humane. And we are taking that to the next logical step, because for many years, as you know, uh, this show was preceded by a campaign to expose genocide and crimes against humanity in Canada that spread around the world and eventually forced Pope Benedict out of office. The International Common Law Court of Justice, the same court that last January convicted Big Pharma of medical genocide and mass murder against children and banned the COVID drugs. You can see all of that at the actually the January 15th posting at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, download all the arrest warrants and seizure warrants, whereby you can lawfully seize those COVID drugs off the shelf, as we've been doing in a number of different countries. Well, there's a critical mass that builds after a while. In Canada, it took from the year 1998 to 2008, that decade of a critical mass to build, where eventually Canada and its churches collapsed, and they had to admit genocide to some degree. Well, we've reached a similar critical mass now, but it only took six to seven years. 
starting in 2015 with the Republic of Kanata. Now, this year, seven years later, we now have 11 other countries that are taking up that torch and have declared sovereign republics. Now, we're at the point now where those different sovereign republics are uniting. And tomorrow, there is May 9th, there'll be a global communique issued. But I'm going to read it to you today since... I appreciate all of you tuning in today, and your reward is that you're going to get to hear of it a day early. It's called a Special Global Communique from the Republic Alliance, an international federation of free sovereign nations issued on Monday, May 9th, 2022. This will be posted at republicofcanada.org under breaking news. It'll be on YouTube. It'll be on all the social media, and it'll also be at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates. And here's how the special global communique reads. For the past two years, a worldwide corporate tyranny has descended on humanity under the guise of a staged public health crisis. Everywhere, the rule of law and democracy lie in ruins. A new global fascism has deposed accountable governments and is enslaving the free people of the earth. The time has come to end that tyranny and establish self-governing societies according to the free will of the people. Millions of people have been waging individual and heroic battles in their own countries to defend their liberties and resist and overturn the COVID tyranny. In 11 of those countries and in eight allied indigenous nations, patriots have now separated themselves into new sovereign republics with their own legislative assemblies, courts, and citizen militias. They have passed and are enforcing their own laws that prohibit COVID measures and that issue arrest warrants against criminally convicted corporate church and government officials. Those patriots are now going going beyond defensive responses. They are joining hands across borders to establish an, an international federation of free sovereign people to overthrow and replace the global corporatocracy. That federation is called the Republic Alliance. From July 1st to 4th of this year, the Alliance is convening an international conference to issue an, sorry, an emancipation proclamation and charter and to plan joint actions to disestablish tyranny and reclaim their countries and their wealth for all the people. The Alliance member republics will establish mutual trade and defense treaties to defend each other against the violence and criminality of the corporatocracy and its puppet governments. Alliance delegates will be attending or participating from Canada, America, England, Ireland, France, Italy, Germany, Sweden, Russia, China, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, and from the indigenous nations of the Chilcotin, Squamish, Anishinaabek, Mayan, Celtic, Basque, Tibetan, and Ainu peoples. In the same way that survivors of genocide have united internationally to prosecute the Vatican, Big Pharma, and other child-killing powers through the International Criminal Court of Justice, so too did the sovereign people of the earth now join hands to stop an even greater crime against all of humanity. We will no longer tolerate the destructive rule of, of a few corporate technocrats and billionaire oligarchs. We are reclaiming the world for all of its people so that we can all live in equality, liberty, and harmony with creation and with one another. Now, it is only liberty or death. We call upon all people to rally to the Republic Alliance and join or form sovereign republics wherever they live, beginning with local sovereign assemblies. As free men and women, we all have an inherent sovereignty and the unalienable right to govern ourselves. 
Now, to participate in the July conference and to join or form a sovereign republic in your country, contact Republic National Council at protonmail.com. Follow updates at republicofcanada.org under breaking news. And every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time at bbsradio.com slash here we stand. We stand for the worldwide liberation of humanity. We will live free or die. And this is issued by the Coordinating Committee of the Republic Alliance, May 9th, 2022. Now, that also is being translated into uh, French, Italian, Dutch, and Swedish. We need translators uh, to get the message into Spanish, German, Chinese, and Russian. So if any of you speak those languages and know people who do, please write to us, Republic National Council at protonmail.com. You should also know that there's, besides that list of founding uh, delegates from these different nations, there's an, another group of uh, people who will be attending or observing from 21 other countries and five other indigenous nations who haven't committed yet but are observers. They want to think it over. And um, it shows you the extent of this network, how it's blossomed overnight because of all these campaigns. Like I said, it's reaching a critical mass. Now, we're talking at the macro level and the micro level. People have been asking, well, what's been going on since January? And that common law court trial that issued arrest warrants, expropriation warrants against the COVID drug, and so on. Well, we have been enforcing those warrants. As you probably know, we have made arrest of three of the 75 people named in the uh, conviction. These were lower-level church and government officials on the west coast of Canada. They pointed out the mass grave sites of people who have been killed since right as recently and buried as recently as 2019 because of these murderous drug testing experiments done by Pfizer, GlaxoSmithKline, the Roche Pharmaceuticals, the others that are working as we speak with China in the tissue sampling for organ trafficking uh, that have killed children through medical genocide for many decades in Canada, especially in the West Coast. So those uh, warrants are being enforced. Secondly, the most even more important thing we're doing is we have been spending the last number of months building up our underground network of action cells, local citizen militias that can take down these criminals and defend our communities. Naturally, a lot of that has been off the radar. We don't talk about it on the Internet or on the phone. We simply build it up. And thirdly, of course, building this international alliance you just heard about, painstaking work in the face of a lot of takedown and disruption and sabotage. We've learned, however, how to navigate around that. And that's the advantage of being a, a veteran. And that's an, well, another reason I urge you folks to hang in there and don't dabble, what I call dabbling and babbling, where we kind of move around on the Internet and sample all these different issues but never do anything, just talk. That's not going to get us anywhere. That will end up getting you dead because the only way to defend yourselves is being part of an active alliance of people on the ground who are taking steps to defend our communities. We've been doing things like building up homeschooling networks, setting up groups that reclaim their taxes and keep the taxes in the local community, the federal taxes, building up farming networks for food self-sufficiency, all of those things, and, of course, building up three-stage process, forming uh, cell, cell groups of republic citizens who then form assemblies and then courts and militias based on that. That's happening all over Canada. It's now happening all over the world. I personally have been doing tutoring uh, programs on the Internet, on Zoom calls, with people literally in every one of those countries that you heard listed. 
And it's interesting, translation doesn't seem to be a big issue. English is, seems to be the, a universal language now. So I've been having amazing conversations and a lot of fun talking to people all over the planet who are working along the same lines, saying no to the corporate state, establishing our own self-governance. Now, within that, of course, when you take a decision to, to uh, become a citizen, there's two aspects of it. There's work publicly, forming a whole periphery and, and group of sympathizers around us, doing education, actions, way to recruit people into the republic. But then once you're a citizen, there's a, a responsibility. And that means recruiting others. It means building up the republic where you are. It means taking leadership training. We've set up citizenship schools, leadership training schools. This is an act of nation in birth. And I want folks to know that because it's important at the micro level, as we talked about, to build up our strength on the ground. It isn't happening through lots of rallies or people individually filling out papers to get out of the system. All of that is a fallacy. All of that is put out there on the Internet to distract you, because don't forget the system profits off you doing that. You know, the system profits off you seeking atomized individual responses to our oppression as an entire people. It doesn't get you anywhere. When people say, and we, we find this, um, police operatives come in and say, let's have a big protest. Let's all be unified. And that's, of course, a word that draws people in when groups like Unify the People in Canada, which has been proven to be a controlled government-funded opposition network, you know, unity doesn't do anything when you do it in public except show the adversary who you all are. You have a rally, you'll all have your photo taken, and you'll all be identified after that. So no, we're not into big rallies. We're into building our strength on the ground. Don't forget, don't ever do what the system expects you to do. That's basic Sun Tzu in the art of war. Always do on the unpredictable. That's one of our philosophies. Now, uh, in terms of the macro, what we're dealing with, uh, it's very important to understand, to think critically. And in a few minutes, I'm going to actually play a uh, very amusing um, performance by George Carlin uh, about critical thinking and an issue that is deliberately created these days to divide America in a, in a civil war between Republicans and Democrats funded by China, because they're the only ones who will profit from the destruction of America in that way. And um, so we'll listen to George in, in, a, uh, in a minute. But um, the thing to remember is that um, when we talk about the macro level, what we're dealing with, uh, I want to read a quote from 1984. Uh, if you remember in the book 1984, there's an underground network, the resistance, and it's, uh, there's a, it's based on a book by a guy called the resistance leader, Emmanuel Goldstein. And he wrote a book called The Theory and Practice of Oligarchical Collectivism. And in other words, Big Brother, the corporate state. Now, he talks about the war. And you might have noticed uh, the recent posting I did talking about the so-called war in the Ukraine. It's totally in line with what Orwell predicted in his book 1984. Eighty years ago when he wrote that, he said, there'll be three power blocks in the world, Eurasia, which is Russia, Oceania, which is America, and East Asia, which is China. Sure enough, that's exactly what's going on. But listen to these words in the book written by Goldstein to anyone interested in the resistance. They, they had to read this book. He says, the war, if we judge it by the standards of previous war, is merely an imposter. But though it is unreal, it is not meaningless. For the war eats up the surplus of consumable goods, and it helps to preserve the special mental atmosphere that a hierarchical society needs. In the past, the ruling groups of all countries, 
did fight against one another, and the victor always plundered the vanquished. But in our own day, they are not fighting against one another at all. The war is waged by each ruling group against its own people, and the object of the war is not to make or prevent conquest of territory, but to keep the structure of society intact. The word war, therefore, has become misleading. It would probably be accurate to say that by becoming continuous, war has ceased to exist. So there's two phrases there I want to flag for you because it very much describes the world economy and politics we're in. War exists to keep the structure of society intact, to keep people brainwashed and in a war mentality, and to have a state of permanent war. Now what he's talking about there, that even that term oligarchical collectivism, it was uh, actually a term that, that came out after World War II. And there was a really interesting guy, and this is covered in my book, Memoirs of a Revolutionary, on page 60. A really great thinker called Hal Draper in America. And he said, the bureaucratic class in the Soviet Union is presaging the eventual shape of the whole world economy. Being neither capitalist nor socialist, that system will be one of total domination by a bureaucratic oligarchy that abolishes the destructive cycles of the capitalist market, while keeping the masses enslaved and dependent. It will embody the worst features of Stalinism and monopoly capitalism in a worldwide oligarchic super-state. Well, 1948, he predicted exactly what's happening now. We are in an oligarchic super-state, what we call the corporatocracy. It rules through permanent war and keeping everyone in a state of crisis. And we, of course, see that happening all around us. Now, remember, uh, there used to be a thing called the War Against Drugs. Uh, well, it's really a war of drugs now. The permanent arms economy kept the, the capitalist system going in an artificial state of prosperity for 30 years after World War II. People would take all of that capital that would normally fuel recessions and unemployment, and they pumped all that excess capital, the overproduction that would cause depressions and recessions. They took all the capital and pumped it in the arms industry. That's why you had the Cold War and the arms race. They're doing the same thing now, although they're pumping it into drugs the permanent drug um, war economy where everything can be trafficked, human beings, drugs, arms, the whole bit. And it creates everyone in a permanent state of trauma. So we see all of these scenarios that we talked about before, they're all playing themselves out. It's being predicted, it's being understood. None of this is new. In fact, you know, I often say to people, are you worried about having needles shoved in your arm and special vaccine passports to move around? Well, Go local, visit your local Indian reservation. That's been the law in Canada since 1874. You couldn't leave the reservation without a special pass or you'd be arrested. You couldn't refuse medical treatment, and you still can't today under the Apartheid Indian Act in Canada. If you're a native on reservation, if you refuse a shot in the arm, you go to jail. Or they can take your kids at any time and shove needles in their arm. That's always been the case. I remember as a minister in Port Alberni, before I got sacked, for exposing the mass graves of residential school kids there, Native women constantly came to me and said, the Mounties have come and taken my children away again, without a warrant, without anything, and they're shoving needles in their arms. Health Canada's experimenting on them again. That was in 1994, folks. So, I mean, you know, 30 years later, we're all on the Indian reservation. And because we let it happen to our neighbors in the, in the death camps, they still call residential schools, it's now happening to us. So these issues that we've talked about are not issues. They're matters of life and death, and now they're affecting all of us. That, of course, creates incredible potential, because because everyone is being hit by it, we can all unite now on a common basis. And that's really 
the potential and why this Republic Alliance is so important now to join up, join hands across the border. Now, when we did that with the International Common Law Court of Justice, we had groups of survivors of Catholic Church crimes in eight countries. We formed the tribunal that formed the International Common Law Court of Justice. It forced Pope Benedict and three cardinals out of office. We're doing the same across the border movement now, except with greater stakes. The fate of humanity is now at at stake. It's a crime against everyone. So that's an intro for today. And in the the break we're going to take now, we're going to listen to George Carlin. And he talks about this issue of, quote, pro-life anti-abortion. And, of course, it's it's a false issue, as he's going to describe. But it's being used right now in America to inflame the Democrats against the Republicans. And, of course, that campaign is fueled with Chinese money because America is tearing itself apart. Geopolitically, that has to happen. For The Chinese is the rising power. America is going down. America only has 15% of the world gross domestic product. Forty years ago, it had half. So America is going down the toilet. But to put in the coup de grace against that country, China is fueling the civil war between Trump and Biden, both of whom are serving the corporate agenda. And so I wanted to flag this issue of, quote, pro-life, because it's It's the issue that's getting Americans at each other's throat these days. If you look at the corporate media at all, you'll notice that. So we're going to listen to George Carlin, come back, and there'll be more. Well, let's get back to this abortion shit. Now, is a fetus a human being? This seems to be the central question. Well, if a fetus is a human being, how come the census doesn't count them? If a fetus is a human being, how come when there's a miscarriage, they don't have a funeral? If a fetus is a human being, how come people say we have two children and one on the way instead of saying we have three children? People say life begins at conception. I say life began about a billion years ago, and it's a continuous process. (laughs) Continuous just keeps rolling along. Rolling, rolling, rolling along. I say, you know something? Listen, you can go back further than that. What about the carbon atoms? Huh? Human life could not exist without carbon. So is it just possible that maybe we shouldn't be burning all this coal? (laughs) Just looking for a little consistency here in these anti-abortion arguments. See, the really hardcore people will tell you life begins at fertilization. Fertilization when the sperm fertilizes the egg, which is usually a few moments after the man says, gee, honey, I was going to pull out, but the phone rang and it startled me. But even after the egg is fertilized, it's still six or seven days before it reaches the uterus and pregnancy begins. And not every egg makes it that far. Eighty percent of a woman's fertilized eggs are rinsed and flushed out of her body once a month during those delightful few days she has. (laughs) They wind up on sanitary napkins and yet they are fertilized eggs. So basically what these anti-abortion people are telling us is that any woman who's had more than one period is a serial killer. (laughs) Consistency. Consistency. Hey, hey, if they really want to get serious, what about all the sperm that are wasted when the state executes a condemned man and one of these pro-life guys who's watching comes in his pants, huh? (laughs) Here's a guy standing over there with his jockey shorts full of little Vinnies and Debbies. And nobody's saying a word to that guy. Not every ejaculation deserves a name. Now, speaking of consistency, Catholics, 
which I was until I reached the age of reason. Catholics and other Christians are against abortions and they're against homosexuals. Well, who has less abortions than homosexuals? <laughs> Leave these fucking people alone, for Christ's sakes. Here is an entire class of people guaranteed never to have an abortion. And the Catholics and Christians are just tossing them aside. You'd think they'd make natural allies. Go look for consistency in religion. And speaking to my friends the Catholics, when John Cardinal O'Connor of New York and some of these other cardinals and bishops have experienced their first pregnancies and their first labor pains and they've raised a couple of children on a minimum wage, then I'll be glad to hear what they have to say about abortion. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Enlightening, too. But, but, In the meantime, what they ought to be doing is telling these priests who took a vow of chastity to keep their hands off the altar boys. <laughs> keep your hands to yourself, Father. You know? When Jesus said, suffer the little children, come unto me, that's not what he was talking about. <laughs> so you know what I tell these anti-abortion people? I say, hey, hey. If you think a fetus is more important than a woman, try getting a fetus to wash the shit stains out of your underwear. <laughs> For no pay and no pension. I tell them, think of an abortion as term limits. That's all it is. Biological term limits. But you know, the longer you listen to this abortion debate, the more you hear this phrase, sanctity of life. You've heard that, sanctity of life. You believe in it? Personally, I think it's a bunch of shit. Well, I mean, life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. <laughs> Has been for thousands of years. Hindus, Muslims, Jews, Christians, all taking turns killing each other because God told them it was a good idea. <laughs> the sword of God, the blood of the lamb, vengeance is mine. Millions of dead motherfuckers. Millions of dead motherfuckers, all because they gave the wrong answer to the God question. You believe in God? No. <laughs> Dead. You believe in God? Yes. You believe in my God? No. <laughs> Dead. My God has a bigger dick than your God. Thousands of years. Thousands of years, and all the best wars, too. The bloodiest, most brutal wars fought, all based on religious hatred, which is fine with me. Hey, anytime a bunch of holy people want to kill each other, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> but don't be giving me all this shit about the sanctity of life. I mean, even if there were such a thing, I don't think it's something you can blame on God. Now, you know where the sanctity of life came from? We made it up. You know why? Because we're alive. <laughs> Self-interest. Living people have a strong interest in promoting the idea that somehow life is sacred. You don't see Abbott and Costello running around talking about this shit, do you? We're not hearing a whole lot from Mussolini on the subject. What's the latest from JFK? Not a goddamn thing. Because JFK, Mussolini, and Abbott and Costello are fucking dead. They're fucking dead. And dead people give less than a shit about the sanctity of life. Only living people care about it, so the whole thing grows out of a completely biased point of view. 
It's a self-serving man-made bullshit story. It's one of these things we tell ourselves so we'll feel noble. Life is sacred. Makes you feel noble. Well, let me ask you this. If everything that ever lived is dead, and everything alive is gonna die, where does the sacred part come in? I'm having trouble with that. Because, I mean, even with the stuff we preach about the sanctity of life, we don't practice it. We don't practice it. Look at what we kill. Mosquitoes and flies, because they're pests. Lions and tigers, because it's fun. Chickens and pigs, because we're hungry. Pheasants and quails, because it's fun. And we're hungry. And people, we kill people, because they're pests. And it's fun! And you might have noticed something else. The sanctity of life doesn't seem to apply to cancer cells, does it? You rarely see a bumper sticker that says, Save the tumors. Or I break for advanced melanoma. Ah, viruses, mold, mildew, maggots, fungus, weeds, E. coli, bacteria, the crabs. Nothing sacred about those things. So at best, the sanctity of life is kind of a selective thing. We get to choose which forms of life we feel are sacred, and we get to kill the rest. Pretty neat deal, huh? You know how we got it? We made the whole fucking thing up! Made it up! The same way... Thank you. And we're back. That is George Carlin, of course puncturing a lot of sacred balloons there. Well, they shouldn't be sacred. Golden calves don't have any place in the human race, remember? No, I can't resist. I've got to, uh, I was going to get into another heavy top- topic, but I'm not going to right away, maybe a bit later in this next half hour. But I want to read something that is, in, I guess, in a lighter vein, you'd call it. I, it's one of the things I posted uh, this last week. In the uh, the weekly column I started that didn't turn out to be weekly because I had too much to do. So now it's kind of semi-regular um, muckraking column I put out. You can see it. It's up online. Um, RepublicofCanada.org. There's a thing called Annette's Weekly. Go on there. One of the uh, stories is actually taken from an incident that my Uncle George McCoo had witnessed in the 1970s. Now, I'll tell you about my Uncle George and my Aunt Claudette, my mom's brother. He was a big liberal, liberal Party bagman in Ontario. He was personal friends with Justin Trudeau's dad, Pierre Trudeau, who's prime minister, unfortunately. And uh, George McCood and his wife Claudette used to go out routinely to dinner with the Trudeaus, uh, Pierre Trudeau and Justin's mother, Margaret, the pretty ornamental wife that Pierre had for a little while. And... Um, we heard this at family gatherings. George would kind of laugh about it and recount this story. And uh, <laughs> let, me, let me just read uh, what I wrote about this. The last thing my uncle and aunt ever expected to see was the Prime Minister of Canada punch his wife unconscious in front of them. It happened at the Chateau Laurier over dinner one night in the spring of 1972. My uncle George McCoot was a major bagman for Pierre Trudeau back in those days. Along with my aunt Claudette, George was an occasional guest of the PM and his wife, Margaret. As George tells it, the four of them were chowing down on taxpayer-funded filet mignon just before a federal election when Margaret Trudeau said something about the political scene that Pierre found displeasing. Without a word, Pierre turned and drove his fist into her face. 
Maggie collapsed unconscious on the floor as the PM calmly returned to his meal. Well, being consummate Canadians, neither my Uncle George nor Aunt Claudette objected to the assault. They simply stared aghast to Pierre, who made a joke about something while two plainclothes Mounties dragged Canada's bleeding and comatose first lady from the lavish Ottawa dining room. Pierre Trudeau was an arrogant sadist who liked to beat up defenseless people, including his own children. His eldest son, Justin, inherited, inherited his dubious crown as the Prime Minister of Canada, but behind the official facade looks a frightened and battered boy who was made that way by more than his father's fists. I think about this whenever I watch Justin perform. When streams of trucker protests poured into Ottawa, Justin called them terrorists and then quickly vanished from public view. Well, beaten kids act like that. They can't stand up to a fight. Instead, they fling nasty name-calling at their adversaries and run away to avoid any blows. At the time, Minnie T fled into reclusion somewhere on Canada's west coast, as far from his burly enemies and as close to his Chinese sponsors as possible. But was his relocation to the Pacific region that quick? For an even more sinister reason. Well, to pry open this particular can of worms, one has to know two names. The first name is Dr. John Seeley, and the second is the Hollywood Hospital in New Westminster, B.C., near Vancouver. John Seeley was a Jesuit-educated American sociologist and child rapist who worked for the CIA in their mind control programs. Seeley was also a friend and frequent house guest of Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, where he served as a self-described personal mentor to young Justin and his two brothers, Michel and Alexandre all of whom received, like their dad, a Jesuit education. And you know what that means. The Hollywood Hospital was a notorious center for mind control and LSD research that was run by Canada's Defense Research Board. That's the same board that did the experiments on Native children and killed thousands of them. Run by the Defense Research Board in the Catholic Church with considerable CIA funding. John Seeley and the Trudeau children were frequent visitors at the Hollywood Hospital, which bore its name because of the movie celebrities associated with it, including Bob Hope, Cary Grant, and other U.S. government insiders. But a less well-known attendee at the Hollywood Hospital was Justin's own mother, Margaret Sinclair Trudeau, who Pierre liked to beat up. As a child during the 1950s, Margaret underwent undisclosed chemical and shock treatments at the Hollywood Hospital. The experiments were run by the notorious Sandoz Pharmaceuticals, which as a division of IG Farben in Nazi Germany, manufactured and tested LSD with the assistance of Dr. Josef Mengele, who came to Canada after the war and continued his experiments on children in Indian hospitals. Sandoz Pharmaceuticals was a predecessor of Novartis and Roche companies, which are presently implicated and are being convicted of medical genocide and organ trafficking in China and on the west coast of Canada. Sandoz Pharmaceutical prospered in Nazi Germany by using concentration camp inmates as involuntary drug test subjects like they did before and after World War II in Canada at residential schools and Indian hospitals. Sandoz Pharmaceuticals also partnered with the CIA in testing LSD on prisoners and patients, and they ran many of the experimental programs at the Hollywood Hospital until it was closed in 1975. Well, the ties to Justin Trudeau are even closer because Sandoz Pharmaceuticals is a major shareholder in, guess who? The very same companies administering the COVID drug to Canadians, thanks to Justin, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Pfizer. 
Well, before the closure of the Hollywood Hospital, the handler of the Trudeau sons, Dr. John Seeley, routinely brought all three of the Trudeau boys to the hospital, according to a former nurse who now lives in retirement in Kamloops. And this nurse said to us, quote, All I know is the Trudeau kids were always kept off by themselves, not with the other children. I heard they had them in the deep sleep room, where they did all the behavior mod work. They'd always go, come and go in secret, and we were told to keep quiet about it, unquote. Well, maybe you've seen that remake of the Manchurian Candidate movie. You might recall the scene where the programmed, hypnotized presidential candidate checks into a private clinic where doctors in the pay of big money, the Manchurian Global Corporation, these doctors insert and modify nanoprobes in the presidential candidate's brain. Well, it isn't too much of a stretch to imagine Justin Trudeau undergoing such a treatment or its equivalent at the hands of Chinese neurologists during his strange and unexplained flight to the West Coast last February to run away from the truckers. Or was he running away? Was he running to something? Running to more mind modification? Because don't forget, he's been acting like a puppet from the beginning. Justin Trudeau's first action when he was elected was to dutifully remove all restrictions on Chinese investment in Canada and allow China to station its troops anywhere on our soil under the Foreign Invest Protection Act. Well, all of that's treason, of course, and he, Trudeau belongs in jail, but what does any of that matter to a mind-controlled puppet who people call a prime minister? Yes, and all of that is based on evidence. You can find murderbydecree.com. Just go to the PDF. And uh, before the end of the show, I want to make reference to it about how the whole COVID state is really a state of mass and group psychosis. It isn't just bad things happening to us innocent people by a few nasties. No, we all contributed to it. We helped all create it. And it's also springing by a, from a group psychosis that we all share. And that's the point. We're all part of the problem. And it's hard to see the problem when you're like a goldfish in a bowl swimming in it all the time. You have to step out of it. I find that the best way to get out of it is to go through some kind of trauma where you're attacked by the system. It worked for me in the 1990s where I had my family, my career, my livelihood, everything destroyed, where I've been a targeted enemy of the state for over 20 years and on a permanent blacklist. That forces you to wake up. If I hadn't have gone through that stuff, I could very easily still be a lot more integrated into the system mentally and on a pension plan and all those other ways that keep us trapped a lot more than I am now. But the good thing about being hit hard is that it does wake you up, but then you have to make a choice of who and what you're going to serve. Well, further in that regard, um, I want to share another one of those stories. And uh, it's called, Meanwhile, Back in Cam Kamloops, Unearthing More Than Little Bodies. One year ago this month, the people who buried them announced that they had discovered the remains of 215 children at the former Catholic death camp called the Kamloops Indian Residential School. The contrived media orgy that followed that disclosure created the impression that the uncovering of mass graves of Indian children in Canada is a new thing. Of course, that kind of fogging of history is what spin campaigns and cover-ups do. Well, recently, a guy called Mike McKenzie gave me a call. Mike McKenzie was in on the spin in Kamloops early on. He's a former associate of the Tecumloops Band Council, that hand puppet of the Canadian government that stage-managed the alleged excavation of the kids' graves. Like any local native, Mike knows full well that children's remains have been turning up on the Kamloops grounds for decades and were systematically 
destroyed by the the Communist Band Council and the Catholic Church, along with the RCMP, of course. But recently, Mike came clean about the deeper drama connected to what locals now call the May 27th fiasco. To quote Mike, First thing you've got to know is that Kamloops is still a Catholic missionary town. The church runs the band council and politicians. Our member of parliament is a knight of Columbus named Frank Caputo, and he's the one who invited the Pope to come and do his apology bullshit. But Caputo had the backing of all the Tecumlops chiefs, like Manny Jules, Bonnie Leonard, and Roseanne Casimir, all of them loyal Catholics. All of them had to cover their asses after somebody in the band council leaked news of the mass grave to the press. Unquote. But, according to Mike, more than concealing the church's body count, was responsible for the band council's pretense commencing a dig at the graves. There was big money involved, as there always is, and the dig, which never actually happened, was a distraction, according to Mike. Quote, Our traditional clan mothers have been fighting the band council for years. They planned to arrest Pope Francis if he came to Kamloops, but they've also been trying to get independence from the feds to become economically self-sufficient. We had our own cannabis company ready to go, but the day before we were to announce it, the band council made the announcement of the graves, and all the media got focused on them. Then right after that, our company was sabotaged and our facilities were burned to the ground. Unquote. Well, Mike insists that it wasn't just the Tecumlops puppet chiefs who torched their independent business, but gangster interests who are behind the massively profitable cannabis industry on the West Coast, whose revenues now exceed $4 billion. And those gangster interests include leading Canadian cops and politicians like former Toronto Police Chief Julian Fantino, Senator Larry Campbell, and former Prime Minister Paul Martin. Well, as I've described before, both Larry Campbell and Paul Martin are not only big investors in the Chinese underworld's domination of the B.C. cannabis industry and in money laundering and illegal gambling going on in Vancouver, but both politicians are also linked to the death and disappearance of Indigenous women at the infamous Piggy's Palace in Coquitlam. And if you go back into that uh, thing I referred to in republicofcanada.org under Annette's Weekly, go to the October 27, 2021 article entitled Notes on a Remarkably Guilty Politician. You can read more about the infamous Larry Campbell, who's got blood all over his hands, but he's still sitting there in the Senate, raking in 150 grand, thanks to all of you people who, for some reason, might still pay taxes to the federal government. Well, as Mike concluded, quote, these guys don't want small-time Aboriginal entrepreneurs cutting in on their monopoly. It's like with the timber and nat liquid natural gas being pumped out of the province to China. The band council chiefs are all getting in on the action as partners with the feds and the Chinese. Why do you think so many of our native families keep going missing? The Kamloops children's grave was to distract from the graves being filled up right now with the bodies of our people. Let me repeat that. The Kamloops kids' grave was to distract from the graves being filled up right now with the bodies of our people. Unquote. And by our people, he's not just talking natives. He's talking about friends of mine who have disappeared after going public with what they knew about all of these crimes. Well, I'm going to soon do um, another commentary on how West Coast puppet Indian chiefs are actually China's biggest allies in the robbing of Canadian resources and sovereignty. Recently, the uh, Wet'suwet'en Bank Council's state-funded native puppet chiefs just signed a $22 billion deal to ship liquid natural gas and oil to China. So, in fact, now China's Canada's big tra biggest trading partner. 
And the native chiefs are a big part of that big sellout and big, well, continuing genocide. Well, we've got five minutes left, and I think I will reserve to next week the full discussion on the COVID as mass group psychosis, um, because it's very important to understand what we're talking about when we talk about COVID. It's not something that was done to us. It came from us, just the same way all these other crimes of genocide came from us. And I don't mean that it's simply because we paid our taxes and put money in the collection plates of the churches that were sterilizing, murder, and trafficking children. It's because it grows out of our own mindset and our very own lifestyle and spirit in which we all operate. That's why when we talked about earlier the setting up of a republic and an international alliance of free republics, those republics are not going to happen on the ground unless there's a regeneration within the dropping of the scales from our eyes, and the cutting of complicity in our lives with this system of mass murder that we all profit from still to some degree, that we all depend on. And I find that in working with people, when they take out citizenship, they'll only go so far and then they stop because they're owned still by the group mind. And it's reclaiming that personal mind and a higher mind, a new overmind we're creating among ourselves. That's a real spiritual as well as personal and political struggle. So the republic and the regaining of our, of our world and our minds, it's a threefold process. It's personal, it's spiritual, it's political. Now a lot of shows and a lot of people kind of separate artificially those three, but they're not. They're all like a double helix strand, all interconnected. Now the, uh, this actually is coming from another book I'm writing. Believe it or not, folks, book number 20 is called Under the Robes, A Stranger in a Stranger Land. That's going to be out within the next month. It's got a lot of photos and history of my specific coming awake and taking action within the so-called Christian church. My three experiences in the ministry in rural Manitoba, in downtown urban mission to Toronto, and finally near the death camp in Port Alberni, the West Coast. All of that how it led to the opening of this whole movement in Canada and now around the world because of that experience I had. So this um, thing I'm going to read next week, it's called The Virus and the Mirror, COVID as Terminal Psychosis. We're going to uh, get into that in more detail. And in the last few minutes, I want to remind folks some basic facts. Murderbydecree.com. Go to the PDF there to learn all of this facts of hard proof of genocide. And um, you can also see there under ITCCS updates. That's for the International Tribunal of Crimes of Churches State that started in 2010 and set up the court that brought down Pope Benedict and is continuing to bring down the big pharma heads. Uh, you can find that on that murderbydecree.com site under ITCCS updates. And Republic, Republic of Kanata, K-A-N-A-T-A, republicofkanata.org under breaking news, but also look all through that site to understand what the Republic is, how it came about, its philosophy, and it's how we're building it up now on the ground. And to get a hold of me, Write to angelfire101 at protonmail.com. That's Kevin Annett. Eagle Strong Voice, that name, Gano Geshewe Gikido, in Anishinaabek Ojibwe, was given to me by Chief Louis Daniels, a traditional CM of, and my adopted grandfather, who gave me the name Eagle Strong Voice in 2007 with the words, you have to do the work among your people that I'm doing about, among my people, together, hand in hand, we can take our nation back. And that's the whole philosophy and spirit of the Republic of Canada, folks. So until next week, take it all to heart. 
tell folks about this show. It'll be posted by tonight or tomorrow morning. And stand by tomorrow for the announcement of the Republic Alliance. It'll be posted republicofcanada.org under breaking news, ITCCS updates at murderbydecree.com. It's up to each one of you to make that republic real. It's now liberty or death. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. We're going to be going out on two clips. One, a very inspiring last words of Martin Luther King, and then Glory Hallelujah, the song from the American Civil War against our own slavery today. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. I thank you all. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they have committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 